It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. And we are back in your lives. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. As Len Hart just alluded to, Nick, hearing her say my name, it gives me goosebumps, Nikola. That was fucking awesome. Lenny Hart, new for 2020 with the MMA Geeks podcast. We're very, very grateful um, that she was nice enough to record that introduction for us. Without a doubt, the greatest MMA um, announcer in uh, the sports history, I think, as far as introductions go. And uh, we couldn't be more thrilled. Cross it off the bucket I list. I could not agree with you more. That felt fucking great. Hearing her say my name, Nick, as if I was standing across from Fedor Emilia fucking Nenko, except I don't have to fear for my life, so it's a win-win. <laughs> it's it's something I'd always wanted. For years, I've been thinking about it. And then when I was watching on DAZN, um, Rampage, oh, geez, Rampage, Rampage against Fedor, it was great to hear her voice, but she did a, I don't think, I don't think that she always did the Fedor intros like this, but she said, Emilianko, and then in this very chilling voice, just said, Fedor. And it was so it was so creative. It was so amazing. And at that point, I was like, we gotta have Lenny Hart do our intro. That's it. Yeah, that, that was a phenomenal idea. I'm glad to hear her speak my name, speak the name of our podcast, speak the name of my buddy. It's it's good to be alive, Nick. And we are also coming off a pretty exciting card from this past weekend, UFC 246, in which Conor McGregor faced off with Donald Cerrone, gave him a goddamn shellacking Nick. Made him look 63, not 36, uh, McGregor did. And uh, McGregor looked like his old self. He basically just ran right through an aging veteran. What were your thoughts on this main event? I was disappointed. Um, you know, you pay $65, you want to see a fight. I thought there would at least be some exchanges. I did, you know, uh, Cerrone certainly wasn't smaller than him. I, I just expected it to, to be a fight. And Cerrone ducked under the left hand, but then he just got in that clinch and uh, caught those shoulders, and it wasn't it was like he didn't know what hit him. Uh, I I don't I don't know what to say. I mean, Cerrone's been stopped early before, but I just I was I I was pretty confident that McGregor was going to win the fight based on his strengths and Cerrone's weaknesses, as we discussed last week. I still thought it would be towards the the back end of the first round. I you know close to the the uh, Dustin Poirier McGregor fight or something like that. I didn't expect the fight to end on essentially the first exchange. Um, Similar, you know, really not that. It's already didn't do much better than Aldo did to be honest. Um, so. Yeah, McGregor looked healthy, looked ready. He conducted himself um, with class and humility. And the big question, of course, is what's next? Yeah, I mean, McGregor did exactly what I think he would hope to do here, right? Coming back from everybody knowing him for the loss to Floyd Mayweather Jr., everyone then watching that Khabib Nurmagomedov fight in which he not only lost, but then got into a fist fight with some of Khabib's guys and there was a whole melee afterward um all of the negative press he's been getting he needed something positive going his way and he did it in the lead up to the fight where he refused to talk crap trash to Cerrone as he is very much known for McGregor is 
he essentially was extremely nice to the likable Cerrone, knowing that he could not afford to be the bad guy, knowing that he needs to to have to go through rehab in the eyes of MMA fans, in the eyes of uh, fans all over the world, really. And he did so. He was nice to Cerrone and, and respectful the entire time, very much unlike him. He knew he was going to get the attention. Uh, I did feel like something was missing from the fight because of the lack of trash talk. But I get it. I get why he needed to take that approach. And then he went in there, uh, ran over Donald Cerrone. It was interesting. He he did go for that immediate left hand, hoping to take McGregor, uh, hoping to take Cerrone's head off. And Cerrone just instinctively shot right under. And and I think that tells you about what Cerrone's game plan was like. The guy was going to do the right things, but unfortunately, it didn't matter. McGregor put the pressure on immediately. He did something that Anthony Hernandez and Ally Quinta just couldn't do as the shorter men against Cerrone. Cerrone needs to be pressured, especially if you're a left-handed fighter. You've got every advantage there. McGregor showed it. Cerrone just kind of countered with a head kick, and I think that's the only real strike that he threw. Uh, McGregor blocked it and immediately threw a left head kick. Cerrone partially blocked it. That foot caught him, and that seemed to be the end of it. Obviously, the shoulder strikes earlier before that were a factor as well. It just seems like at this point in his career, when Cerrone gets buzzed, hurt, uh, roughed up just for a few moments, there's really no coming back. I mean, this is just telltale signs of a shot fighter. I guess so, but you know, he just but he he just fought that uh, who was the youngster that he fought? Not before I Quinta. Uh, Anthony Hernandez. Anthony Hernandez. Yeah, I mean, he took some he took some shots there. He took a few shots against Mike Perry, um, but it's. Uh, yeah, he just he just couldn't, you know. He just buckled under. He buckled under. He took some big shots from Leon Edwards, like McGregor. Yeah, just, but Le- uh, Leon, Leon Edwards doesn't finish guys with his hands at all. He never. No, really, but, I mean, one, yeah, but one McGregor's. Time, I think, McGregor's never finished record. guys with his shoulders. I think this was a. I think this was a big case of the shot that hurts you the worst is the one you don't see coming. Uh, yeah. I think those. I think those shoulders, and and we've seen we've seen effective shoulder strikes before. Ricky Simone. I can't remember who he fought, but he floored somebody with one. Like, knocked him, you know, knocked him down, scrambled his eggs. Yeah. Um, It was against, um, it's a hell of a, it's a hell of a clip. I'll tell you in a second. I am very curious. So, yeah, those shoulder strikes were very unusual in that he literally threw his entire body. Like, his feet left the floor in order to land those strikes against the taller Cerrone. Ricky Simone knocked down Ronnie Yaya with a uh, really? with a sh- wow. with a, a level change shoulder strike. I mean, basically, well, yeah, he basically used his body as an uppercut. That's exactly what what Connor did with the first shot. The sec, then he then he hit him with a left and a right, I guess. But uh, he hit him with you know three of those things and just bonked his nose, clipped his eye. He had him all sorts of uh, unbalanced, and uh, you know. Just set him up for that. I just watched the Ricky Simone clip, Nick, and it, and it seems like Ricky Simone kind of faked a shot, which made his opponent, Yaya, kind of get into a sprawl position, bringing his head down. And Simone was just simply standing up from the fake shot and ended up clipping him almost by accident, it looked like, on the way up. That was fascinating. Um, Yaya's uh, face kind of fell into his shoulder as he was getting up. But yeah, uh, th- those shoulder strikes were pretty nasty, man. He had all of his body weight behind those things. And he's explosive as hell early. Yeah, McGregor's tough. So what do you what do you what happens next? I guess everyone's saying Nurmagomedov. I don't want to see Connor. I don't know that I. I just don't want to see it. Really, everyone else does. I'm. I don't. I'd rather watch him fight strikers. I can't imagine that Connor really believes that he had excellent excellent moments in the Nurmagomedov fight. 
Because he does talk about it as if, like, he was basically in control the entire time until just something went slightly wayward and, and, and that was well, that. He, he, al- he also says it. he was drinking three nights a week when he was training for that fight, which, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, but 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 I do you really think he believes that, like, if he had this kind of training camp, he would beat Khabib? Because if he does, then maybe he will take that fight. I just know Connor to be a careful guy when choosing his matchups. It's a game of inches. It's a game of inches, and I don't, you know, once you're in Khabib's world, it's trouble. But those, I, there weren't moments in that fight where if it didn't go Khabib's way, you know, he might he might have been in, in more trouble. But when, Yeah, if the fight had gone McGregor's way, Khabib would have been in more trouble. Well, course, no, but. I mean, me, well, I know, but there were, <laughs> there, were very, there were very pivotal moments where Connor was doing the right thing, defending properly. He wasn't, he was not an easy mark. Like Khabib Nurmagomedov had more trouble taking down Conor McGregor than Chad Mendes did. Um, when at that point I, his career, I, I Conor, do, Conor was just me- was just melting for for those takedowns, and he yeah. He, I, I mean, he, listen, he definitely had more trouble than than the version of Conor that fought many years ago with a torn ACL. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. But Conor did get taken down just about every time that Khabib genuinely tried and chain wrestled. That third yes. round, though, Conor did win because it seems like it was one of those aka things where Khabib took the round off but for McGregor to take serious like positives from that he got knocked down by the grappler who rarely knocks people down he got taken down almost at will and of course he gave up the submission it's not that Khabib had to pound him out it's not that Khabib, Khabib had to kind of sneak that submission in like he did against Poirier no McGregor had his hands at his chest and he allowed Khabib to sink in the choke because he wanted out and and this is a common thing in MMA but Following this, I think it's Masvidal, man. I think if he was smart, that's what I think too. But he, he says he says he doesn't want it. I don't know. They, and Dana White wants to wants the Khabib fight. He they want to go to Russia and and have the biggest pay per view ever. I think the I think I think Masvidal's a great fight. I think Ferguson's a great fight. I think Usman is a very interesting fight. But I I just really can't imagine him fighting Usman by choice. Like he's not that foolish. He can't. You really? Right? You see? So you think? You think? You think Kamaru Usman would dominate the McGregor that we saw? On I Saturday think yeah. Night? He he would he would dominate just about any McGregor. The thing that Khabib and Usman have in common, besides their elite wrestling and strength advantage over every opponent, is the fact that they have iron jaws. Man, you can hit them with everything and anything, and they will stay on their feet. They are fine. And Khabib's taken Connor shots, and he was fine. Um, granted, he got buzzed once, and it happens to him every couple of fights. He got buzzed against Poirier. He got, he got buzzed. buzzed way worse against Poirier than against Connor. By the time Connor was really landing on him, it was the third round, and there wasn't as much sting in him. Connor hit him more, but it didn't really. They, the shots didn't really hurt him. You know, Michael Johnson in the first round hurt him. Poirier uh, buzzed him in the second. Right, which makes me wonder: Would Connor be foolish enough to fight the bigger, stronger Khabib with better stand-up in Kumar Usman? I can't imagine he's that foolish. He should. He would be more likely to take the Khabib fight. I think what he's going to do is fight Masvidal because he he will feel like that's the biggest payday with the smallest risk. Even though Masvidal is extremely dangerous and obviously firing on all cylinders at this point in his career more than any other. Still, you you have to give credence to the fact that McGregor wanted to fight two specific people leading into this January event. He wanted to fight either Donald Cerrone, who's on a two-fight winning streak, two-fight losing streak, and really has been looking terrible for a little bit now. Clearly not the same person and very susceptible to a, a southpaw pressure fighter. Or he wanted to fight Frankie Edgar, who's cutting down to 135, who 
came up to 137, 38, and yeah, he's on the back, the back end of his, certainly the back nine of his career and has taken a lot of damage lately. I mean, there's so many fights and so many interesting fights. I know he's not going to do 145 again. I'd love to see Connor against Volkanovsky. I think that'd be an amazing fight. I would love it, but Connor has very little to gain in that one, and so much to lose, including that weight cut. Unfortunately, it's it's not going to happen. Connor Ferguson. Uh, Connor Ferguson would be phenomenal. I don't think Connor wants to fight Ferg at all. He said he did. I mean, I'm, listen, what is Connor going to say that I don't want to fight the, these three fellows? No, he's going to call everybody out like he always does. Then he's going to be very selective about who he fights. Yeah, he picked Nate Diaz back in the day because he thought he would be the easier opponent with the biggest upside over Donald Cerrone, right? He picked Donald Cerrone at this point because he thought he was easily beatable. He he picked Aldo, don't get me wrong, but that's for the title. That's for all the stakes, all the gold. That's for a big payday. He doesn't fight tough guys for for nothing. Uh, with Khabib, there was a legitimate beef. I, I just feel like Usman is gonna he's gonna avoid at all costs. He's he's gonna take uh, and and same thing with Tony unless Tony gets blasted by Khabib. Um, Tony's just a nightmare for Connor because Tony's likely to survive early and then destroy him late. I think you're right. I think there's I think there's two potential fights for him because he also said he's only going to cut to 155 for the belt so if he wants to fight again before uh he can fight the winner of ferguson or megamedov he's going to take a shot at 170 and he's not going to fight covington leon edwards he's not he's probably not going to fight leon edwards because he's not big enough of a name there's two guys there's there's george masvidal and if he defeats, as I believe he will, Michael Chiesa on Saturday night, Rafael Dos Anjos and Connor had unfinished business from, uh, remember, it was Rafael Dos Anjos that bowed out that allowed Nate to step in. That's right. So, and if he's in welterweight, I could, that's a, that's a winnable, it's a challenging but winnable fight that I could see Connor taking. Obviously, the Masvidal fights the payday, but it's a more dangerous fight, I think, than Dos Anjos is. Dos Anjos is no pushover. He can beat, he can beat you anywhere. But I don't. I don't think he'll be able to take Connor's shots. I think that I think he gets in. He get, I think he gets in there with George Masvidal. That it's like there's going to be fireworks and like somebody's. I honestly don't know. I think either one of those guys could knock the other one out. I honestly think that Dos Anjos is probably the harder matchup over Masvidal. Really, just for Connor, yeah, nonstop, okay. nonstop southpaw pressure um, with just endless cardio. Excellent ground game. He's kind of Connor's nightmare in that, like, the left-handed fighter is what Connor's had trouble with, right? He, he has a much harder time landing his left hand on a left-handed right. fighter because right. his left hand is the furthest away from uh, from the opponent's head in that position. So, I, you know, I, I think there's a reason he had trouble with Nate, and, and I think Dos Anjos is – like, Dos Anjos is a guy that dominates Cerrone, dominates Nate Diaz. That's just all risk and no reward. Um, I, I would take Masvidal, man, given the payday. Interesting. He now, I'm not saying that Connor yeah. will beat Masvidal. I'm just saying I think that's the least dangerous fight for him. And let's face it, with Masvidal having been knocked down early in that Darren Till fight against a, a powerful left-handed 170-pounder, Connor's got a shot at replicating that, and Connor's the type to actually finish when when in or if he does hurt you. Yeah, possibly. Till's a lot bigger than Connor, but. That's true. No, no doubt about it. Like Mas- Masvidal is, I don't feel even the Masvidal's chinny at all. Like I got to, I don't. I, don't I think his chin's as good as Nate Diaz, as if not better. I just don't. I don't. I think. I think that against Masvidal, what could happen to Connor, depending on how you know fit he is coming in, 
is he can throw everything he's got. He's not going to land as much as he did on Nate, I don't think. I think Masvidal's got better defense. I don't know what you think about that. Um, but I don't. I just don't see. I don't see Masvidal melting under the power. And then when he doesn't go away, he's gonna he's gonna throw some nasty shit. Oh, I definitely agree with you that Masvidal's a nasty motherfucker. I just feel like he's the least risky of these fights. Interesting. Uh, including, and again, he's got a lot more upside in that. There's a lot more money to be made. There will be trash talk both ways. I know that Dos Anjos and him have a history, but Dos Anjos, have you ever seen an interview? I mean, he can put you to sleep, man. Like he's he's a very a fairly nice guy. Doesn't say anything extra. Doesn't answer with anything more than a yes or no. If you ask him a yes or no question, like he's a, you know, he's not going to help hype the fight very much. He's just going to kind of see a little bit as Connor. He has shit. the worst mustache in either hemisphere. No, I don't know. I, uh, I'm, I Dude, respect that, all the mustache. Oh, oh. I think I'm just the, just the guts, like the fact that he has some size on there, even though it's not the right shape, maybe and and. Maybe it looks very slightly like hair that usually grows lower on the body. Um, I, I respect him for going with it. I respect him for committing, Nick. All right. Great fighter. Don't like his facial hair. And he's boring. But I was just thinking of guy, looking at the guys. Like, I don't see Connor against Steven Thompson is too weird of a fight. Pettis is shot. I, you know, Diaz is not, did not. I don't think Diaz is the same guy he was when he fought Connor the first two times. Um, There's a chance that Connor would want to fight Diaz and make the argument that he never really lost to Masvidal anyway. The fight was just getting good. There's a chance if he wants another layup. Yeah, I would not be that. Yeah, but that's a problem. I don't want. A, I don't want a layup. Um, Agreed. You know, I want. I want to see. Well, I'd like to see him lose, but like, let him fight Damian Maya. Let's see what happens there. Oh, he wouldn't do that shit. <laughs> he could just land either a either you're not either yeah either you knock out a 43 year old or you get tied into a pretzel. <laughs> yeah. There's no win. There's no win. All right, a lot uh, let's more danger there than uh, than with Edgar, the other uh, the other aging veteran he wanted to fight. Yeah. So yeah. So so I mean, do we agree that it's Masvidal more likely than anyone else, or do you think I thought so? I I I liked it for Masvidal, and then Dana's all yelling. It's the next the next fight's is Khabib, but I I think it's got to be Masvidal. Yeah, especially with Khabib being scheduled for a title shot in the next couple of months against Tony Ferguson, and then Ra- and then Ra- when's Ramadan? And then and then he said he wouldn't fight against uh, until after Ramadan following that title defense. So. Yeah, Connor's by the sounds of it, him being completely yeah, he's fighting right really. before Ramadan, and that means he won't that means he won't be training at all in May. Right. So so, so it's gonna be it's, it's gonna be a little while, and Connor I think wants to get in there sooner than that. He's just gonna yeah, if I he's think, fighting before the summer, we'll see. Uh, if Khabib wins against Tony, which I I think is about sixty percent um, likely to happen, um, if Khabib wins against maybe a little bit more than that. If he wins against Tony, then he'll fight. You know, he'll fight Connor in the fall. It'll be like the Thanksgiving, you know, fight around there. Uh, yeah, and I don't think Connor's waiting for that. So Connor's definitely fighting in the yeah. meantime. I think you're right. I think it's probably it's it's, Ma- it's going to be Masvidal. It's going to be Masvidal or Nate. And I really hope it's. Uh, I don't. Him fighting Nate just seems like one of those bad boxing trilogies that they do just to do. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to see that. I don't disagree with you there. In the co-main event, we had a dull fight. With uh, Holly Holm picking up a victory, I don't really want to talk about it. I, uh, you know, it just doesn't really deserve much of a conversation. It was, it was pretty painful to watch. Um, after that, Nick Olianik with a second round knockout over Morris Green. Again, the guy's a submission wizard, and Morris Green was a 
newbie. It's kind of to be expected. That, that was not boring. That was not a boring no, fight. No, it was not boring at all. I, I agree <laughs> with you. Not, not boring at all. But these are two kind of meddling heavyweights, so I don't know that we have to invest a whole lot of discussion into them. No. I agree. Really entertaining uh, fight in which Green had to survive a couple of times before finally being and finished. He put up a good fight. Those crazy triangles. Like, he tried yeah. all kinds of weird shit. He's, you know, a couple, he had, pulled a couple of, uh, uh, what's it called? Oh my God. Submission my Haymakers? No, it's he's Submission Haymakers, but he also, um, oh, Jesus, what, what do you call it when he, when he use leverage to flip position on the guy? A sweep? Yes, he swept him a couple times. I see. That's funny. Jesus. <laughs> Brain fart. Brian Kelleher with a first round submission. Yeah, the little sit, the sit down, the iron chair guillotine against Odie Osborne. Um, yeah, okay, you picked, you called that one. You called that. By the way, you did, you did win the first, you did win the first, our first competition of the year, I should say, by just by one fight, and it probably would have been tied. If uh, the tiebreaker thing had worked out, but with Alexa, I don't hear any excuses. What I want to hear is congratulations. You won by one fight. Congratulations. Also, the reason this Nick, is coming. Let's talk about I'm Diego. Up, mm-hmm. The reason that I'm up by only one event, just for the record, is because we started from scratch, my friend. I was something like 16 up at one point, and then we started from scratch with the new system, and then I was like six events up, and here we are. Nikolai, the best is yet to come. How did I start out so hot last year? I won like the first 10 events and then I haven't won oh, since I, like I, last I was, April. I was phoning it in. Were you? You were hustling yeah, me? Th- I got I hustled. I didn't have a Fight Pass subscription at the time. And then I asked you to borrow yours and you shared it with me. And Oh, that, that was a really wise. That was a really smart. Made. Yeah, besides being born. Uh, Diego <laughs> Ferreira just absolutely took Pettis to school as we thought he would. Pettis, is, I, I had a feeling when they, I don't know if it's true or not. My guess is that that was the last fight on Pettis' contract. Maybe it's not, but you throw him in against a really talented killer that nobody really knows. We knew, we knew him, and we picked Fahea. But nobody else watching this card knew who he was. None of the casuals know him. Um, they all know Pettis from the Wheaties box and his show, and the Showtime kick and his big wins over Benson and Gilbert um, and Cerrone. And then he... Uh, just does not look like a top 10 UFC fighter anymore. I got to believe he's going to follow that. My guess is this is his last fight and we'll see him follow his brother to Bellator. I've got five words for you, Nikolai, five words. Anthony Pettis versus Michael Chandler. That sounds like fun. And then that's it. There's no other lightweight. That's, that's not true. That's not true. You can have him put on weight. You can have him put on weight and take on and knock the crap out of out of Michael Venom Page. Oh, I would I would find that to be lovely, but I you know that's one that could go either way too. I think, given Page's lack of any medium level experience and the fact that Anthony Pettis folds as soon as something doesn't go his way, um, that would be fascinating to watch though. Yeah, but I think Pettis can submit him. Yeah, yeah, he could. Uh, I'm just I, I just like for a guy that's been working on his takedown defense for. I mean, probably 15 years now. Like, anybody can take him down, Nick. Anybody. It's fucking fascinating. Not me. But anyway, uh, Diego Fred, no, well, anybody that that competes in, let's say, contender series at least level fights can probably take him down. So, Ferreira looked fantastic, man. He's a very serious prospect. Dude, look at his record. He's 17-2. and And Nick, like, the last probably 10 fights were in the UFC. Um, this dude is something special. Uh, he hasn't lost a fight, actually. I say 17-2. Those two losses 
were back in 2015. Hasn't lost a fight since. He's now six fights uh, in a row. And his last three wins are over Anthony Pettis, Meyerbach Taisumov, and Rustam Kabilov. I mean, this guy is firing on all cylinders. Love him going to Fortis MMA and getting yep. just to a different league. But just great to see good things come his way. I'm glad he got this opportunity and he took maximum advantage of it, Nick. Who do you have for him next at Lightweight? For the, well, first I was going to say that I want to check back and see the, if the night, if he was on the card the night that Hennen Burrell lost to TJ Dillashaw. Because I feel like some fight god got kicked out of Hennen Burrell and landed in Fahaya. Like, I feel like the ascent of one and the decline of another seem to be um, on the same path. Something happened. Anyway, um, who do I have next at lightweight for Fahea? Well, Barbosa's moving down. Gillespie lost. How about the winner of um, Oliveira is fighting someone interesting, right? Who's Charles Oliveira fighting next? Topology. Scrolling down. Kevin Lee. That's a great goddamn fight. Yes. Fahea fights the winner of the Bronx and Kevin Lee. The problem is that fight isn't for like over two months, and I don't I don't think it makes oh, sense yeah? for him to wait for it. Yeah, that's on well, 314. Well, or not over well, two months, two months almost. Well, who else is uh let's see who we've else also, is available at light, around then? At lightweight, we've got um Dan Hooker, Paul Felder. Uh, yeah, they're fighting, maybe the, they're fighting any minute now, right? Or is that still a couple of weeks away? No, they're they're fighting. They're fighting. It's pretty soon. It's pretty soon. Um, you know, you don't want to you don't want to put Fahey against Gagey quite yet. I don't think. Honestly, I say fucking go with it. Gagey's really? not exactly. Yeah, I mean, like Gagey's got I a think, couple of decent wins, but like Justin Gagey hasn't beaten elite in the UFC yet, has he? Um, I feel like he has. He's beaten Donald Cerrone, which, yeah, okay. especially in retrospect, does not, does not look great. James Vick, who's clearly on a horrible downward spiral. Edson Barboza, um, he got in the first round. But none of these guys are elite. The two guys that are in the elite conversation, Poirier and Alvarez, that he fought, he lost to both those guys. Yeah, but he knocked the hell out of them first. I mean, they were brawls. Yes, but he, he got finished by both of the elite guys that he's fought. I don't know that there's like very many people that you can say like, like, like in the top 10 that are like not ready for Justin. I mean, Justin's a solid fucking fighter, but I don't think there's much reason to call him elite, especially after his best win hmm. got shellacked once again, you know, I'm, this past weekend. I'm pretty sure that Jack Slack had him as, as his most improved fighter of the year. Oh, I believe it. And, and that's, that, that doesn't make someone elite. That makes someone very, very much eligible to be elite. But I just feel like Gaethje, you know, I know he's very much up there, but it's because he's talking trash to the right people. And, you know, getting getting knockouts, and that's fucking impressive. Don't get me wrong. But Fahea, that's I think that's right up his alley. I think that's exactly where it should be. I would give him Felder Hooker first, just mostly because people still don't know his name. More people are going to know his name now, but I think I would still give him the winner of Felder and Hooker. On this card, Nick, we also have Roxanne Matafari, who scored a huge upset over Macy Barber. Barber was a minus 1,000 favorite. She looks strong, and I, I don't want to talk about it. I, I, I am so psyched for Roxy, and you called it when you saw her at the weigh-in. She looked, you, you were right. She did look really, really strong. I've never seen her look this in shape, Nick, never. Nobody, nobody should be talking about, oh, it was a, 
it was a Macy Barber injury. Um, you know, they said, oh, she's Roxy, she stepped on Roxy's foot or Roxy stepped on her foot and she felt her knee pop in the first 10 seconds. Well, too bad for you, but she still ate big shots, got dominated everywhere. And I, I think Roxy was going to win that fight regardless. She just stormed her. She absolutely stormed her. Nick, I've got uh, one word for you. L-O-Y-A-L-T-Y, Nick. Loyalty. I'm... Yeah, I believe I you to... spelled that word for me last week, Nick. I did. I tried to. I tried to hoodwink and bamboozle you after you didn't make the pick <laughs> I thought you would, and you and you tricked me. You tricked me into pick into picking against my favorite fighter in the world just based on odds and wanting to beat you. And I've never felt so shitty about maybe anything. It was it was goddamn phenomenal. Like the fact that Roxanne got the win on top of all of that. How great is that? I, yeah, I have her her email address. I will be at some point in the near future. I will be PayPaling her a bonus. I think you owe her that, Nick. Now, Sadiq Youssef won in a prospect matchup with Andre Philly. Sadiq Youssef is now eleven and one. Again, I, I really do think he's something special. I would love to see him join an elite camp, but Lloyd Irvin will have to do for the time being. The guy is, I, I think, talent wise, out of this world. His confidence level, his j- just how mentally strong this guy is. I'm a big believer in him. Now, yeah. I'm a little bit concerned about the fact that he can get tagged, the fact that he can be hurt. That's eventually going to catch up to him like it did to somebody like Cain Velasquez. But super, super excited to keep watching Sadiq Yusuf's rise in the UFC. He's Well, he was – I thought that that was probably my favorite just from a pure MMA standpoint fight of the night. Uh, Yusuf's terrific. Super talented, super athletic. He's great on the mic, very charismatic, lots of poise. Yep. Just loved him. Um, but I, you know, I become over the years a Philly fan. I wasn't initially. I thought he was, you know, goofy team alpha male guy with the giant holes in his ears and bad tats. And, you know, I just didn't think he was very well-rounded. I think he got into the UFC maybe before he should have been, but holy shit. I just think he's evolved into such an impressive fighter. And I had him winning. I, I had him winning the fight, to be honest. I had him winning the first round, even though he lost the last minute or so of the first round. I thought he looked terrific before that. I thought his entries on his takedowns were fantastic. Um, and yes, he definitely lost the second. But it was a it was a very close fight. I think he left that fight with his stock, um, you know, still intact. And I'm real curious to see who they match him up against next. But I think he's going to be one of those guys that's all that's always in the picture. And as soon as he can string together three or four or five wins, I, I don't. I think he could be the kind of guy that gets a title shot. We'll see. He's too young to be a gatekeeper, and I've just been really impressed with his development over the last four years. Yeah, but given his record, you kind of have to put him in I know. gatekeeper I... territory, unfortunately. I mean, maybe even a bit of a high-level journeyman. I mean, he can get wins over Shaman Rice, which was extremely impressive. But was that lightning striking, or is he truly in a different league now? I still wonder that. Miles Jury, Dennis Bermudez, Artem Lobov, these guys are mediocre in 2018, 2019 uh, in the MMA world. He lost to Michael Johnson in a split decision, Calvin Cater, Yari Rodriguez. Any prospect that he fights, he loses to. And all of the prospects that he loses to are pretty solid prospects. So he kind of is a gatekeeper. Um, And he might still— He's only 29 years old, though. True, true. He's a, he's a young kid. Uh, he might still fight his way out of that, by the way. I'm not saying he's permanently a gatekeeper, but he knows the taste of defeat, Nick, like a lot of it. Max Holloway, Godofredo Pepe, Pepe back in the day, um, all the way down to Sadiq Yusuf this time. 
Yeah, like I, I think I think it would take some more development. Like he's clearly taken strength and conditioning to a different level. He's in the kind of shape that he was never in before. He was just a tall, lanky guy. Now he's a very muscular, tall guy um, who's much more explosive and hits with a lot more impact. And that goes for Matafari as well. The fact that she did that strength and conditioning routine, I put a ten dollar bet on her and ended up profiting. What was it? What were the odds on on her by decision? It was something plus 780. So that that was a nice, just a little extra bonus capper that, that $80 actually saved me from uh, being at a loss in this event. Um, yeah, once I saw her in that good of shape, and that's something I've been talking about in episode after episode with you, is that Roxanne Matafari keeps complaining about the fact that she's getting overpowered by some of her opponents. She has to take strength and conditioning seriously. And she just looked like... I think she always has, but I don't know what the difference is. Something, something, because something, it wasn't that long ago that she lost that second fight to Maya. So, you know, she wasn't truly, truly elite, like anything close to elite shape for the first time in her entire career. And I noticed that as soon as I saw her at the weigh-in, she looked like a different person. She had a lot more muscle and she had a lot less fat. This is the first time she truly took it seriously. Trisha spent a lot of time on the mats, spent a lot of time hitting pads and her standup is improving tremendously. But in order to uh, gain explosiveness, gain strength and gain speed, she needed to put on muscle and she did it. And, and I think that she's going to continue to do it. And on this track, she can continue to beat these prospects. Like she's the kind of gatekeeper. And she she may be a yeah maybe she's gonna be a forty year old who gets the title shot. Finally. That would that would be pretty cool. I'd be I'd be rooting for her certainly, especially against Valentina Shevchenko. So Askar Askarov picked up a decision over Tim Elliott. We expected this. Drew Dober huge upset over Nazrat Hakparast. Uh, Nazrat was your first pick as I mentioned earlier. Drew Dober just got his counter left straight in as Nazrat waited in with the left hand and finished him off on the ground. The guys. He's another guy that, by the way, put on a lot of muscle, um, is much faster now, much more conditioned fighting, uh, training at elevation. And he's a 22 and 9 guy who could very well make his way up into the top seven or top eight territory. And at 155 pounds, that is truly saying something because if you're in the top eight at lightweight, you can probably be a longtime champion at heavyweight, light heavyweight, and middleweight with those skills. Um, so Drew Dober looking really, really good against Hawk Perost. Uh, Alexa Kamor picked up a kind of a whole decision over Justin Bedet. Regionalville. Sabina, that was not a yeah. fun fight. Yeah, it, it wasn't awesome. Uh, and Sabina Mazo uh, picked up a somewhat controversial close split decision over JJ Aldridge. Unfortunately, I had a lot of money on Aldridge, and and that one judge going the other way really hurt me on this. Very one. close. It was very close. I, I had. I, <sighs> I thought it could go either way. I was pulling for Aldridge. I was watching it as an Aldridge fan, and I thought she really took it to Mazo early. But it's one of those things where it seems to be in split decisions where the momentum, the fighter who gets the momentum towards the end of the fight, often gets the nod, and that's what happened here. Yeah, I think you might be right about that. Actually, I haven't really thought of it that way. Uh, solid overall card with an exciting main event. McGregor is now going to pave the way for himself for major future things and we look forward to watching it i'm hoping and praying that cerrone either only fights better fellow veterans like Nate diaz or retires i know retiring is probably not likely for the next few years for the guy but i really hope dana white treats him well i, I hope he doesn't keep giving him guys that are going to smash his head in because that guy's going to have trouble having a conversation with his son a few years from now at this pace um we have discussed ufc 246 nick we're going to get into and hopefully quickly break down this weekend's UFC on ESPN Plus 24, Blades versus Dos Santos. A surprisingly good card, Nick. We're going to make our picks right after this break.
we are back to the MMA Geeks C-Level podcast. We are going to talk about UFC on ESPN Plus 24, Blades versus Dos Santos. We have our draft pick system in which each of us take turns picking fighters, and whoever ends up with the most number of winning fighter picks ends up taking that event. So far, I am 1-0 going into this year, Nick. It's a good goddamn start. You have the first pick on this event. The floor is yours, my friend. UFC on ESPN Plus 24, Blades vs. Dos Santos, January 25th from Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I could tell you've done radio. That's really fucking good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Don't ever do it again. (laughs) (laughs) For my first first pick, I am going to pick uh, or choose the two weight class sensation, the mustachioed. Jiu-Jitsu master and former lightweight champion of the world, Rafael dos Anjos, to defeat Michael Chiesa, who maybe has a guillotine's chance in hell, but I really think that's about it. I think he's going to be badly outclassed by dos Anjos here. I think he, I think he fights two chin up. I, fi- I think he's just, he's, he's great fun to watch, but he's. You know, he fights like Tony Ferguson without all of Tony Ferguson's athleticism and ability. And it's and it, it lands him in trouble more often than it doesn't. And you can't fight like that against Dos Anjos. You're going to end up on your back. You're going to end up in a triangle choke or, or uh, not triangle choke. I'm sorry, an arm triangle or a guillotine. You're going to take a lot of shots. I I just think Dos Anjos uh, beats him down anyway, really any way he wants. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think Dos Anjos has his way with Kiesa here. Kiesa has struggled against any kind of name opponents that he's ever fought. He he essentially like he he creates this firefight, right? Yeah, and this happened with guys like uh, Anthony Pettis as well as Kevin Lee. He creates just this buzzsaw of of relentless just scrambling and then he doesn't really out survive his opponent in that situation Anthony Pettis was able to lock in that triangle armbar was able to get top position in the first round of their fight as well and he got I thought very fairly submitted by Kevin Lee the referee stopped it but only after Michael Chiesa decided he was going to stop fighting the choke and just kind of wanted to go out and the referee stopped it before he went out like like it probably wasn't ideally done but he clearly lost that fight in my opinion um i think he's going to get submitted here probably an arm triangle choke in the second or third round i'm a big believer in dos dos años who has the very highest level of experience there's only three losses to 170 are to the top three guys in the division in my opinion bar none leon edwards kamaru usman and colby covington so no shame there I expect him to mop up Kiesa and make it look easy. And he was no pushover. I mean, Usman got him the same way Khabib did, but um, he was no pushover for Covington. Like, I mean, he won. Dos Anjos, I think, won a couple of rounds. And uh, he was a tough out. And Kiesa's two wins at welterweight, fighters I love, but Diego Sanchez and Carlos Condit are a generation or two back and d- certainly diminished from their prime. They weren't exactly throwing Kiesa to the wolves at welterweight. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and this is this is probably the fight that I'm most confident in on the card, despite the odds. My first pick. So I stole your first pick. To... I stole your first pick. Is that what you're saying? Um. Uh. Yeah. Sure. Go with it. <laughs> Do you remember that event in which uh, I tricked you into picking Macy Barber and against your better judgment and your friendship with? Uh... Shut up! Shut! 
Shut up. Do you want me to spell loyalty for you one more time? <laughs> Make your goddamn first pick. My first pick, Nick. I'm going to go with the odds, even though in this case, I think they're lopsided. I still think he's a strong favorite, and for good reason. I'm going to take Montel Jackson to beat up Philippe Corrales. The thing about Claris is he actually outperformed in his second UFC fight. He seemed mentally to be in a better place. He's part of Team Noguera, and he was able to get takedowns against a prospect that I think just about everybody favored over him by a good margin, if I remember correctly. And in this matchup, he's going up against the guy who he's probably going to have more trouble taking down. I mean, I understand that he has a chance and he's a huge underdog and maybe he's worth putting a couple bucks on. But he's going up against uh, a guy who's got not only very, very serious power on the feet, but he's also a guy that's going to out-wrestle you. I expect Jackson to light him up and, and knock him out on the feet because Corrales was hurt by Geraldo Defrades a couple of fights ago, a couple of times on the feet. And if that guy can hurt you, then this guy can knock you out. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you there. This was my, uh, you know, if I hadn't, it probably would have been my second pick. I feel that. Um, but instead, I'm going to go straight to the main event of the evening. And I am going to pick the younger, stronger, and I believe faster Curtis Blades um, to defeat Junior Dos Santos. Dos Santos hasn't, I mean, let's be honest. He hasn't looked the same since the, since the, the third Kane fight. Um, but, you know, he's still a great boxer. Uh, I just think that Blades is so strong. Uh, and such a great grappler, and he's got good hands. And the only punch that we've, the only punch that he can't really, he didn't take, right, is Ngannou's punch. And yes, Dosanios hits hard, but he's not gonna, he's not gonna just wing you with two knuckles and ha- and, and and melt you the way that Ngannou does. Um, I just think that Blades will be able to do, implement his game before Dosanios is able to do serious damage. And once he beats up Dosanios uh, on the back, when his back a bit, he's going to slow down um, considerably. And it's a I look I look at this as something of a of a you know changing of the guard bout. I don't think Dosanios is a serious contender anymore. It's also worth noting I'm pretty sure um, he's coming off of a nasty infection, possibly staff, where you know it was like that King Mo level infection where they were like, we don't know, you might not keep this body part, like. Yeah, and I, I and I don't that. think I don't I don't think you can minimize what that's what that does to someone's body, particularly in in the USADA era, um, when you can't really take special vitamins to get back. So I think I think Blades runs through Junior Dos Santos. I think he probably gets him out of there in in three rounds with uh you know probably with ground and pound. Um, that's how I see it. Yeah, I am in total agreement with you here. I I'm very much a believer in Blades. He's one of my very serious prospects. At this point, he's a contender. The only guy he's lost to, like you said, is Francis Ngannou. The first time it was by cut after having a very competitive fight in which he was taking Dos Santos uh, Ngannou down a couple times in his UFC debut. And then more recently, he couldn't help but pressuring Ngannou and giving him something to counter. He can afford taking a counter from Dos Santos more than he can Ngannou. But... I think Curtis Blades has been hurt in a lot of his recent fights. He was hurt against Overeem, although not quite knocked down. He was knocked down against Mark Hunt. He was knocked out by Francis Ngannou. Um, Junior Dos Santos is going to be a tougher guy than Justin Willis and Shamil Abdurahimov. And so I, I do think Junior Dos Santos has a shot at landing a bomb or two. And it could very well be over. But I'm going to go with the, the younger guy who's got the bigger gas tank. Who, like you said, didn't just go through a serious, serious infection that threatened his career. 
and the guy that has incredible wrestling. He's got he's got an insane number of takedowns in his UFC career, Nick. Uh, yep. Like I think he's the most prolific takedown artist in the heavyweight division history. He's got five takedowns against Jamil, seven takedowns against Willis, four takedowns against Overeem, ten, Nick, ten takedowns against the otherwise hard-to-take-down Mark Hunt. Um, the guy has been throwing guys around for a long time, and I expect him to be able to do that to Dos Santos, who's not known for getting taken down. But if Dos Santos can avoid those takedowns, the guy's got a shot. Although I think eventually Curtis's pressure will get to him. Uh, this is very similar, I think, to that Campbell Velasquez matchup. So we're on the same. That's, page exa- that's exactly what I think. Yep. Cool. I keep stealing yes, your picks. I like that. What do you got next? Um, next up, Nick, I'm going to pick. I'm going to take Alex Perez to beat up Jordan Espinoza. I think that Perez is just going to hunt Espinoza and get to him sooner or later. Espinoza is a guy who likes to move around and stay kicking range. He almost never counters. Occasionally he'll throw a check hook. And for the most part, if you throw offense at him, he's just going to kind of back up and then re-engage for his offense and then back up and then re-engage for his offense. He has a he has kind of this weird kind of pressure-ish style. Um, predominantly his offense consists of kicks. And Alex Perez is going to hunt the guy down. I think he's going to push forward, throw bombs at him, uh, get takedowns. Espinoza is pretty good on the floor, and he was able to get kind of a halfway takedown in his UFC debut before he was submitted summarily. But uh, I expect Perez to hunt him down and TKO him at, at some point toward the latter uh, part of the third round, although I wouldn't be, be surprised if Espinoza survives to a decision. I am. Oh, I agree with I agree with all of that also. We're very much aligned on these picks, which is annoying. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of pickums toward the bottom of the card, though. Yeah, there there are some. Some of them I think are closer than they should be, or even I'm gonna I've got some underdog picks later. Um, I think I'm gonna go. Although I haven't always loved what I've seen from him, I'm gonna go with uh, the powerful and athletic uh, Bevan Lewis to take out Daquan uh, Townsend. What do you got on this one? I am on the same page as you on that one. Uh, Lewis brings a pretty decent pressure style. He can make mistakes later in a fight. But Townsend isn't necessarily UFC quality. He's got good stand-up, but he's fairly easy to take down. And he does tire over the course of a fight, even if he's had plenty of time to prepare. Uh, he had a decent showing in his UFC debut that he took on short notice. So maybe he has a shot here. Bevan Lewis can, can be caught by a guy who hits hard. I do think the odds are a little bit too lopsided for a guy. Bevan Lewis, who I think is either one and one or 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 two and one in the UFC. I mean, he, he's he's not that serious of a prospect. So I think the odds are a bit lopsided there. No, he's one of those guys that looks great until he doesn't. You know, he's still figuring out how to not make not make the big mistake. Yeah, I hear that. Next up, Nick, I'm going to take I'm going to take Arnold Allen over Nick. Ah, damn it! I. I, I look. I Arnold Allen doesn't have the best takedown defense when he's lost in the UFC. It's because of his somewhat lackluster takedown defense. But he's a super fast southpaw with very fast punches, um, and I think he's going to be able to get up against Lentz. Although I think again the odds here are way too lopsided. I think uh, I think Lentz has a decent shot at winning this fight by just scoring takedowns and kind of keeping him in that grappling mode. Uh, there's a big difference between Lenz and Gilbert Melendez at this point in time, even though four years ago Melendez would have mopped the floor with him. Um, Matt Burnell was able to take down uh, Arnold Allen several times, so I see the risk in this matchup. 
but I'm going to go with uh, the favorite and Arnold Allen, who trains out of TriStar. I, I just like that he's yeah. affiliated with some pretty high-level guys. And he's never, I mean, Arnold Allen's undefeated in the UFC. I actually have to count out the victories, but he's, I won't name all the guys, but it's one, two, three, four, five, six and oh in the UFC. You know, he lost once, he lost a decision uh, in Cage Warriors, but that's it, you know, and that was, that was fairly early in his, in his pro career. Um, Nick Lenz is a tough dude, but he's, you know, if you, if you can get on you, you're in trouble. But if you can land fast on him, you can do a lot of damage, as as Charles Oliveira discovered um, in their bouts. He's just he's not particularly fast, and if I rec- I'm not looking at his reach right now, but he's got pretty short arms. I mean, if Allen if Allen can keep moving and sprawl, he should be able to do you know do enough damage. Um, to win this, but we'll know. That's that's the thing with it with the Nick Lentz fight. You know, if Nick Lentz is going to win the fight, probably halfway through the first round, if he's if he's able to take the guy down and grind and grind and grind, he's got a good shot. If he can't, he's going he's, he's going to eat strikes and get cut up, and that scar tissue is going to you know result in him bleeding all over the place. Um, so I had I also had Arnold Allen, and that was likely to be my next pick. So thanks for that. Glad to hear. It. I'm gonna make. Uh, this is where it gets tough, man. Everything from here on out to me is a pick'em. It's a pick'em, and I'm I'm gonna go with. Listen, I'm a I was always a big Sarah McMahon fan, but her career was really uneven um, compared to, you know, some of the other women that were coming up at the same time. It's like super talented, great pedigree, probably got a title shot too quickly, but at the time the division was still nascent. Um, and then she went away for a while. You know, she had some grappling matches. Um, I think in Japan, but certainly, you know, outside of the UFC, like grappling only. And now she's fighting Lena Landsberg, who just recently stopped the Macy, uh, how do you say it? Chase on, uh, hype train. And Landsberg's no easy out. And McMahon hasn't been, has been out of the game, the UFC level game for a bit. And when she was in it, she wasn't particularly multidimensional. Um, you know, she did hurt Misha Tate pretty bad. Um, but Tate pulled, you know, pulled out that f- that fight. I think Landsberg wins this. I think she's got. I think she's got more ways to win. I think she's probably her confidence is great since she just um, defeated such a highly touted prospect. Um, I think Landsberg's got the momentum coming in here, and we're not quite sure what we're going to see from from Sarah McMahon. Yeah, I mean, I I very very tentatively agree with you on the pick. Tentatively. Yeah, believe it or not. Um, I, I initially thought that it would be Landsberg all the way here, but the thing is that McMahon generally struggles against good submission fighters once it gets past the first round. Because I don't know if it's a mental thing, I, it's a gas tank thing, if it's all of the above. Caitlin Vieira picked out a second round submission over her. Marion Renau picked up a second round submission over her. Now, the reason that she's been gone, Nick, for almost two years, I don't know if you know this, is because she was pregnant, she had a kid. And she had actually been in shape for a little while. It's not like she's just kind of coming back here a couple months after giving birth. She's actually competed in multiple grappling tournaments since, I think, April of 2009. There is some concern about her in the second round on. I I hear that. But Landsberg is not a great wrestler. and She's not a great submission artist, right? And her losses in the UFC are to two grapplers in Aspen Ladd and Yana Kuniskaya, obviously not counting Chris Cyborg here. Um, both girls were able to take it down, take her down repeatedly. 
Now I can guess that she's probably improved upon that, but Sarah McMahon still might get the edge here just by kind of laying and praying. She now trains with uh, uh, Team Alpha Male and just seems to be in a really good place. So it's a, it's a risky one this high up if you ask me, but I do hear your logic here. My next pick is one that I am probably the most confident in of all of the pick em fights on the rest of this card. I'm going to take uh, Jamal Hill over Darko Stosic. Darn it. Yeah, I, good. I think that Jamal Hill is might just be something special. I didn't feel that way about Osborne from last weekend, who was another contender series guy who looked really dynamic and then was making his UFC debut against a tough opponent. I'd feel that way against Jamal Hill. Although his defensive wrestling is not absolutely excellent. Um, really, really sharp on the feet. Serious snap to his offense. He's the much taller man in this matchup. He's a southpaw. Excellent left hand. Excellent left kick. Um, he's gone five rounds before, and he actually has a win over another guy that's on this card, Daquan Townsend. Nick, when he was like two or three and zero, oh, he fought Townsend, who had like twenty fights at the time, and beat him in a five round fight. So I'm pretty impressed by Jamal Hill. I think he might be something very special, and I hope the UFC treats him well in this 205 pound division that's really starting to come alive over the last year or so. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Darko Stozik did not has not impressed me. Um, in his last two bouts at all. I was going to also pick uh, Jamal Hill, but for whatever reason, I decided I probably should have made that my last pick instead of McMahon, but I mean, instead of Landsberg. So we'll see. We'll see what I'm, if I'm cursing you a week from now. I'm liking the doubt creeping in, Nick. That's a beautiful thing. Well, I don't have any doubt about the next pick, which is my second favorite female fighter, Shockwave Hannah Cyphers is I think uh, I'm going to pick her, even though she's the underdog, over Angela Hill. Um, I think she's the kind of fighter that can give Hill problems. Um, you know, I think Hannah's going to stay in and stay in her face, and she's got really good hands and very, very good power for the weight class. And if Hill can't get her kicking game off, um, you know, I guess we'll see what's going to happen in the clinch, but, but Hannah's very, very strong. So I, I could see her being able to to shrug that off. Um, I just I think she's going to be able to land uh, quite a bit and stay out of kicking range um, and be able to you know knock Hill around to a to a three round decision. I don't think she'll probably get her out of there. I don't know that I can't. I don't think Angie's ever been. I can't remember her getting knocked out. Um, no, she hasn't been. So yeah, I've got a. I guess I, I got ciphers here. Yeah, um, I disagree with the pick uh, for a couple of reasons. One of them being um, L-O-Y-A-L-T-Y, Nick. Loyalty. Have you heard something about that recently? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did, all right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've I've got Angela Hill here. She's affiliated with uh, Evolution Muay Thai. And uh, I know the owner, the owner and her first coach really well who took her to 16-0 in Muay Thai. Uh, She's a really cool person. And uh, not only will I be rooting for her over the weirdly odd ciphers, who, by the way, seems like a really nice person. Just she's totally odd. Weirdly well, she's, odd. She's just a farming. Um, she's a she's a farmer with like farmer strength. You go on her Instagram and she's like chopping wood and, and like is she really cleaning cleaning deer and shit? Yeah, that is pretty badass. That does explain. When I say that, cleaning like, deer, strength. I mean like standing up next to the deer that's like being drained. Yeah, she's like. Yeah, she's not she's she's not like from our particular world, but she's uh she can throw bombs, soft spoken. I just you know, she's she's a fighter. No, I, I hear that and, and I also feel like you may be a little bit on the hunt for uh, a certain Mrs. Ciphers. It's not true. Not true. 
Do you not that would be, find her um, to be an attractive be, young lady, Nick? I mean, sh- certainly, but not. It's not not like. I don't. Do we really need to talk about MMA crushes right now? Oh, Nick, let's get into this top ten, motherfucker. No, I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna. <laughs> just Mackenzie Dern ten times. Fair um, enough. Um, definitely not. She wouldn't even make my top twelve, and then there'd probably be some guys in there before Mackenzie. That's Dern. Fair That's enough. just fine. That just means that you're not. You're just not interested in learning how to speak Portuguese. <laughs> um, you know, I do a little bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, kick in the box. Uh, I can develop there an accent go. like she can. I, I have it in me. Um, I like Angela Hill here. She's like it's a weird dynamic in this matchup, Nick, in that. Cyphers and Hill, I think, are uh, either the same height or, or only an, an inch or so apart. But Cypher has has like surprisingly short arms, Nick. It's it's the most fascinating thing. Like I, I first looked at the stats and I was like, oh, interesting. Particularly short arms for this height. Uh, and then and then I watched some tape and man, her hands like if her elbows are by her hips, Nick, her hands are by her like upper chest. Like, yeah. like it's hard for her to protect her head and her body. At the same time, she's five one with a sixty three inch reach. Uh, sixty two shoulders. Yeah, uh, sixty two on, on your account. Uh, whereas uh, Angela Hill is two inches taller and has a two and a half inch, two and a half inch reach advantage. In that case, uh, Angela Hill's not used to having a reach advantage. Um, Cyphers also she will go for the occasional takedown, but she's not ultra dangerous when she gets there. She can no. maybe score some points with the ground and pound. That's very possible. The ground, I, like I think her straight. I like her straight punches. I think. I think she's. I don't know. I just think she's got really good really good fundamental boxing she actually very much loops her right hand but that seems to be her most kind of uh effective technique as far as on the feet at least um and angela hill just coming off of a win over jody escobar which is not very impressive but it, you know it's still a win zhao nan yan she had an extremely close decision loss to that i thought you could easily make the argument she won and then ariane carnelosi in ariane's ufc debut this bulldozer of a fighter um, she ended up TKOing in the third oh, round. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember that. I don't think Angela Angela Hill is as fast as she used to be early in a fight, and and maybe part of that is because she's not quite as young as she was. She's 34 at this point in athletic years. Uh, you know that that's kind of entering uh, the downslope of your prime. But I like that she's really coming to her own with her conditioning, Nick. She's performing in the third round now, uh, sometimes better than she does in the first round, and that the first round used to be her best kind of moments in a fight. Um, I, I just like where she is kind of putting it all together at this point. And although Hannah Cyphers, I know she looks super non-dangerous. She's she's a good fighter. And so I, I can see her having a shot against the uh, 35-year-old in Angela Hill in this case. Uh, but I disagree with the pick. Nick, my next pick is going to be somebody that I am... Somebody that I am fairly confident in. Um, somebody that I also think could be a very serious prospect in the UFC is coming off of the Contender Series. I'm speaking of Tony Gravely, who I'm picking over Brett Johns. Gravely's a a very slight favorite at minus 120 to Brett Johns plus 100, so it's a pick-em-fight by all means. But I think Gravely's wrestling is excellent. Granted, Johns really kind of, he relies on his wrestling game. He relies on getting top position. And I think over Gravely, that'll be tough to do. And if he does take Gravely down, I think Gravely will get up shortly after and get that top position back. On top of that, Gravely, I think, has a serious snap in his punches. He's very effective standing up, although most of it is kind of a setup for takedowns sooner or later. I think Brett's Johns' stand-up is not quite 
there. Also, Brett John is coming off of a two-year layoff and a two-fight losing streak, granted to two of the very best guys in the division. But uh, I like Tony Gravely in his UFC debut. Uh, worst case, if he loses a close decision, I think he's going to make a mark in the UFC sooner or later. What do you think? Completely with you on that. It was going to be my next pick. So instead... Oh boy, we're down to two. This is tough. I'm gonna go with late. I'm gonna go with Nate Landwehr uh, to take out Her- uh, Herbert Burns. Uh, Landwehr's uh, American guy who fought over in Russia a lot with M1, which was uh, the league that Fedor's manager was running uh, for a while. It just seems like a nasty, powerful dude. Um, he's a slight favorite here, but I have a feeling this is gonna be a, a run through fight. Yeah. Um. Like, I'm very slightly inching towards Burns. Um, as we were doing this podcast, I was kind of just quickly looking up a couple of things up on him and watching a couple of his last fights. It turns out he is Gilbert Burns' brother, Nikolai. Oh, shit. <laughs> I think that's a nice sign in his favor. Now, I'll be honest with you. The tape that I've watched, like, he – you don't really see any stand-up. And it's not because necessarily because he sucks. He might be okay there, but he just, like, gets an immediate takedown. And once he does, fight's over. The thing about Nate Landwehr is that the one fight that I saw of his, uh, his second to last fight in M1, he was taken down a couple of times. He was knocked down once and he, you know, just persevered through that and ended up overwhelming the guy in the third round. I have my concerns about him on the ground. Um, he really wasn't getting up very quickly, uh, getting frustrated. I think he lost those first two rounds of that fight, but I was very much impressed with his pressure. And I was ready to pick him until I found out these deets about Herbert Burns, who trains out of Hard Knocks 365, much like his uh, brother. Um, so I, I, I do very slightly favor Burns here, but Nate Landerer has like a bunch of five-round fights. He's got super high-level kind of local experience in M1 Global. I mean, that is about as high-level uh, non-UFC fights as you can get into. I think Bellator, you have way more layups in then at m1 definitely especially if you're an m1 title holder that's super impressive they will put you up against their best russians and you've got to keep beating them if you're going to make your debut in the ufc as the m1 champion so i I totally hear where you're coming from on the pick but i do slightly favor burns Uh, i think once he gets top position it'll probably be over shortly after um in the final picnic is between justine quiche and lucy pudilova that is a freaking tough one, man. I'm going to very slightly favor Pudilova because she's taller and because she's been more active lately. But just think he's a really skilled kickboxer and she seems like she's in a really good place. And having spent time at the uh, uh, UFC Performance Institute in China. So there's good reason to believe that this is going to be an exciting back and forth fight that ends up being a close disputed decision. Um, I, I will favor Lucy Pudilova ever, ever so slightly. Now, Nikolai, we've made all of our picks. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk to these folks about how they can invest their money into this event and walk away a couple of hundred bucks richer. What do you think? Um, Sounds good. I got a couple of picks myself. Let's take a break and do this. We are back and we're here to discuss the MMA Geeks betting guide, Nick. Um, last week did not go as well as I would have liked. Obviously, on, on my end, I ended up putting some money down on Roxanne Matafari by decision and, and uh, won some money that way. But 
I made a bunch of prop bets and a lot of them did not work out for me. It was a little bit of an experiment. I ended up losing overall $37. So not the worst thing in the world. 37 bucks down is, is certainly okay when you've when you've won significantly more in the past, but expect to perform a lot better on this one. I'm actually a lot more confident about my picks and my bets for this event than I was for the last one, Nick. Uh, what are your bets for this weekend? Um, keeping it, I mean, well, pretty simple first. Like, I've got Shockwave, um, who's a plus 145 underdog, putting $30 on her to win $43.50 with a payout of $73.50. And then I've got my first s- stupid broadship parlay of the year. Um, I'm putting together Curtis Blades at minus 245, Rafael Dos Anjos at minus 270, and Jamahal Hill at minus 230. And that parlay, um, if I put down, if I bet 50 bucks, um, the full payout is $120. Oh, I like it, Nick. Uh, that one is possible. Three fighters, I think, is always risky, but it, but it's certainly possible to work out. I know, I know. I've got a similar parlay, but I'll get into that in a moment. I've got a prop bet of uh, Corrales by decision at plus 780. I know he's a huge underdog to Montel Jackson, but Corrales can get takedowns. And if he gets a few and rides out top position, wins a decision, I wouldn't be shocked. $5 of plus 780 will pay out $39. It's a bit of a throwaway, but not much to lose. Nick Lentz, plus 215, $10. I, I think the odds there should be closer. And again, that's a little bit of a throwaway. It's a little bit of a value bet rather than a bet on actually who I think is going to win. We are now coming into my bets that I actually think are a little more likely to work out. Jamal Hill, minus 130, $65 to win 50. Tony Gravely, minus 120, $60 to win 50. I know both of these guys are making their UFC debuts against guys that have competed in the UFC before, but I am a believer. Both of these prospects are something special. I just feel like Jamal Hill is probably fighting a lower level opponent than Gravely is. So uh, I particularly favor Jamal Hill if you're only going to bet on one of these guys. I'm also going to recommend 20 bucks on Justine Quiche by decision. 20 bucks to win 35. I just feel like this is a pick em fight and getting uh, this fight is most certainly going to go to decision. And getting one of them at plus 175 sounds like a good deal. It's worth putting a little bit of investment into. My parlays are Dos Anjos and Blades. 54 bucks to win 50. And I recommend $20 on Gravely and Jamal Hill uh, to win $45 if that one works out. Nick, that'll be it for my bets uh, this weekend. Um, so tell me, Nick, uh, something that I've been wondering about the sport of MMA and your opinion on uh, who you're going to vote for in the Democratic primaries. Oh, geez. You really want us to do that now? We're recording. It's nine minutes to 1 a.m. Uh, I'm still... Put you on the spot, motherfucker. I'm You've still... got nothing. I'm still undecided. I, I, uh, I don't hate uh, any of the current uh, candidates. So Marianne Williamson, do you think uh, she's, she, you think no, she she's out? She's out. Oh man, it's a damn I shame. Think she, I think she's talking about peace, love, and wonderfulness. I was a big book. I was a big Booker Booker Mark for a long time, but he, you know, always been a fan of his. But that was not meant to be. Um, we'll see. Yeah, you got you got to have a you got to have a fucking message. Nick. You got to have something to stand for. You can't just like run because you're a charismatic, interesting person. You got to have some shit to yeah. stand for. He's young, he's only 15. True. True. Yeah, I don't. They're all, you know, every day now they're all 32.